Hello, my name is Janice B. Gordon. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional in 2021. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow in 2021. So my guest is a marketer turned sales leader and through her company EQ Sales, she uses behavioral science as a tool to influence and inspire buyers and salespeople. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, LJ Harries. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful and thank you so much for staying up because I know, you know, we're on the other side of the world or you are. I'm not sure which one it is, but um, it's lovely to talk to you. I've been following you for quite a while now, so it's a real honour to have you on the, the podcast, LJ. First thing I wanted to um, talk to you about, because I was reading the research I did on you, I was really reading up about you spending using behavioural science as a tool to influence not only buyers, but also salespeople. Can you explain that to me? Absolutely. Look, I actually learned how to sell through my time working in advertising agencies and as Mm -hmm. a marketer. Now, we often think in sales that marketing is sort of on the other end of the spectrum, but it's not. You know, both of those functions are really dedicated to educating, enticing, and ultimately influencing affinity and purchase. The only difference is, is that marketing do that on mass, sales do it on one-to-one. Now, when you think of the overall objective of advertising campaigns, it is to sell. And what they do in advertising is they use images and storytelling and price psychology, all of these wonderful ways to work with how we actually make decisions in order to create what is essentially an art versus science kind of delivery to get people to to purchase. Now, it was when I moved into sales I didn't really get any education like that, you know, where marketing taught me messaging and storytelling and pitching as a performance and, you know, the psychology behind questions and all of that good stuff. Sales kind of gave me a brochure and a phone and and, and a target and we're like, go get it. Uh, So I kind of floundered like a lot of people and I just applied what I knew and that was being able to frame information well. It was being able to tell a story with a case study and suddenly I got a lot of traction from that and I was like, oh my gosh, there's something here. Now, when I moved into leadership roles, you know, somewhat of a different ilk of a lot of the other leaders, you know, being a different gender, certainly being a different age group, I just noticed that there was a heavy handedness with sales that was very much churn and burn when you understand how people think and how that thinking relates to how they act, which is behavioral science, you can actually work with people's mindsets and get a lot more out of them. So in the same way I was able to influence salespeople in a one-on-one environment, I was able to just do the same in a leadership position. And about two and a half years ago, I went out to, to set about doing it by myself. Um, and so far I've been having a, a, an absolute ball. And that's what behavioral science is. It's really the connection of how we feel, how does that feeling affect our thought process? And then how did that thought drive our actions? So there's so many incredible examples of it. You'll notice it if you start to, to look at advertising in particular really well, and you'll start to see where it's been applied and you can take those tactics and apply it in your one-to-one conversations and communication as well. 
there is you know the whole art and science behind sales but I think we forget to marry the two <laughs> we do and I, I think we you know we don't know what we don't know and I think I speak for on behalf of a lot of salespeople that there isn't a lot of tools in terms of understanding decision making process it's very much understand the sales process it's it's tracking data and as much as I think that all plays a role we have to understand behavior because sales is ultimately a very interpersonal service and relationship and I think we miss the people element a lot and that's why it becomes um you know it can become really icky I say icky because old school practice is a little icky to me um and that never resonated with me I'm a, I'm a younger generation we didn't really grow up with the phone so again the disconnect between old school leaders and younger salespeople and helping you know just shift the balance and the dial and go okay cool instead of forcing that person to use the phone you know I'll switch to social selling or whatever that may be so there's a huge opportunity to learn and learn from different salespeople and, and then bring that all together into really strong leadership strategies. And it's interesting you've just mentioned there about really understanding how people learn and actually not yes. forcing them to behave in a certain way, which it doesn't suit their, their personality. And if they're able to not only learn, but also demonstrate the skills to in front of the customer, the customer also has different ways of learning as well. And when the two things marry together, that's when you get you no know, real connection. And that's what sales is about, really, isn't it? Absolutely. I, and there's, there's two things there that really resonated with me. The first, I always use a Winston Churchill quote, actually. And he says, I hate being taught, but I love to learn. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting to think a lot of people don't learn in, in the traditional sense anymore. You know, adult learning has to be very practical. It has to be applicable immediately for it to be retained. It has to be simplistic. You know, I think if you've been through any sales training, not only can it be incredibly boring, it is long, it's arduous, and you go back to your desk and you can't actually apply that. The second is always understanding that in any sales conversation, there's three conversations happening at any one time. There's a conversation I'm having with myself as a salesperson. There's the conversation the buyer is having with themselves as they listen to me, you know, as a salesperson. What do I need to get across? What's the information I need to extract? The buyer's thinking, is this relevant to me? Do I trust this person? What's this going to cost? What's the risk? And then there's the conversation you have between you, which can also get muddled as well because of the different conversations in other people's heads. So helping people understand that, helping people understand that communication without comprehension is, is irrelevant. And I think salespeople were notorious for wanting to get our point across, but we neglect to think that our point might not be what matters to the buyer. And, you know, working to understand that, understanding the, the thought process is really critical to being relevant and valuable. And that's really, you know, all you should be in sales because once you can show value, you're going to be able to um, ask to put the money to that. And that's what sales is, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I completely um, agree with you. Uh, scale your sales talks about speaking the buyer's language, but also really understanding the values, the outcomes that the buyer yeah. is trying to achieve. And, and, I, and I often talk on the podcast how the sales process is, is really broken, but we're really bedded into this thing. It's very internally um, focused and it's a, about the numbers and actually sales is about relationships and the people. Now, it's not to say that you can sell only through the relationship. You've got to really understand the value transfer and the outcomes that the customer wants and the return on the investment, mm -hmm. all of those things. 
you you know the two are really important but it's the process that we're selling really it should be the buying process that we're bedded into and not the selling process because buyers are the ones that have all the control all the control nowadays and i I think that you know you talked about a generational thing and i think there is one generation gets it and the other generations is just so bedded into the sales process so i'm really interested in your views on this absolutely and you're absolutely right and you know i work with with a lot of sales teams and i ask them have you sat with your buyer and understood the buying process and they look at me like i've got five heads and i think just shifting the the mindset and the rhetoric to this isn't actually about you you know they say sales is entirely dependent on the you know, the attitude of the salesperson and not the buyer. And I believe that intrinsically. However, you have to understand what matters. And even by asking somebody their point of view um, and how they buy, you're already ahead of the competition and immediately they're going to see that you're actually serving them. So that's a really great tactic to use as well. Do you feel that the industry has has shifted enough to be kind of customer and buyer-centric? No way. I wish. And, you know, I just, you just have to open up your other emails. I still get, you know, I have an exercise I do with a salesperson. I was like, send your initial email and then print it out. And I want you to highlight every time you use what's called self-facing language. So I, me, my, and what you see, people are littered and you'll see that in cold emails of people who really haven't been educated um, on how to sell because all they do is talk about themselves. I can't see myself in any one of them. Um, in fact, I've had one reach out and she referenced a blog and I, I, went, I got a service from her because I thought, you know what, I was just so excited to see that someone had actually taken the time to understand my values and my values as a business. And I think you, I see that more often, I think with automated LinkedIn messages, you know, I'll get two or three bots word for word in my inbox and I put them right next to each other. And again, if they think that buyers are not privy to this, you know, if we are not smart enough, like they're, they're taking themselves for a ride and it's, I don't think it's getting worse. I think it's more visible now because of digital selling, because you know the effects of a poor outreach because it stays there. And I tell you what, you can change businesses, but if you're still targeting that same prospect, it's really, you can see your ghosting, you know, message. It it doesn't go anywhere. And um, I think more and more because of that permanency that comes with digital selling, particularly on a social side, how important it is for organizations to work with their sales teams to get better at this um, because it follows you around for as long as you're in the industry. Yeah. Um, When I do talk about this to, to sales teams, I talk about it's a bad smell that, you know, just hangs around in the room and won't go away. What you're transferring is that bad smell onto the buyer. And it's like, oof. You know, they yeah. really just icky. don't want to. Really <laughs> exactly. And I think when it you really when is. you visualize it, you think, oh no, I don't want, don't really want to transfer this bad smell on. We need to stop it. How? Yeah. Oh, I've been talking about this for the last, I don't know, prior to the pandemic, you know, I, when I started this podcast, I was so fed up of it. And it doesn't seem mm. to be going away. So, you know, I know we're not customer centric enough, but it changing but not fast enough what can we do how can we accelerate this because a lot of these old ways of selling are still hanging around an actual fact you'll know this as well because we're both aware on it that there are a lot many 
sales professionals, gurus that are still banging on about the old um, uh, sales process done in the old Mm. way and many of the Mm. old strategies. You see them every day on LinkedIn and they haven't adapted. So how can, LJ, I'm appealing to you. How (laughs) can you really accelerate this change? Look, you and I are working in our corners of the globe to do so. I really think that this is a leadership issue. I don't think this is a rep issue. I think the problem with sales has always been a leadership issue. I think there needs to be better support from salespeople to becoming leaders because a leader is not a manager. You know, managing people and managing tasks and metrics does not help to grow skill sets. We need to lead with coaching. And I truly believe that once you can um, educate team leaders to actually lead as opposed to manage what happens is that transfers a focus on task and output onto people and input and that is what sales needs it needs coaching on calls it needs people filming their pitches these are all things that don't happen because sales leaders become too busy lost in the numbers or stuck in meetings they're not actually with their team trying to grow specific um you know it's all about input as far as i'm concerned and and sales is letting sales people down because the focus is always on output, output, output. You're not going to get great output if you don't put great input in. And yet we still don't see it. I see more money go onto business cards than I do on training and development still. So what do you do? You go into a traditional company, the sales leader has has just moved in. They see that there's a need to change the culture and change the um, inputs. So they get you in. What's your starting point? How do you get to move that culture and get some of the managers to um, coach better and more often? What's your process? Well, I love that you called culture because that's absolutely where I work in. However, people don't brief me on culture, right? They think that that's a, they don't see that. Um, they want better sales. They want better revenue. You know, so holding a mirror. So that is the first step. And that can be really uncomfortable because, you know, they've brought me in. They think that I'm going to, you know, get their staff to perform better. And and I kind of go, let's start with you. But, you know, culture is defined as, you know, the habits and the thoughts and the attitudes of a team. And if you, that's what you have to work with. You have to work with mindsets. You have to work with skill sets and you have to have, you know, objective coaching. I come in and I do what I call a, a culture barometer. So I survey and try to find the disparity between um, what leaders think and what salespeople think, and then I connect the dots. So I actually work with the sales team leaders to understand how to communicate, understand how to coach. Then we work on skills and strategy development, and then I'll train the team, and then I'll support them while they maintain. My clients tell me I've got the worst business model in the world because I literally, once I'm out, this engine rolls to itself and, and I'm out the door, which I love. <laughs> I'm going to use that on an ad somewhere, I've decided. and well that's the thing is you don't want to encourage dependency you want to encourage independence it's the difference between fishing for someone and teaching them how to fish and they can continue to fish for themselves um so I'm absolutely um with you there and I, I and I suppose it also depends on I really like to impact change and I can see that you're like that as well. I want to see the results as much as the customer does. And then once they've got the results, I want to move on to someone else that I can I can help to get results. And it's great when I come back two years later, they're further ahead 
of mm. their progress and they now want to deal with with something else so i think it's um healthy to to encourage a culture of independence absolutely and i think you know we have an entrepreneurial hat obviously i have sold more with passion coming in and being excited about this than i have probably anything else and I think you and I have to understand that inherently we have a different point of view on this because we dedicate our lives to doing it. A lot of people who have landed in sales leadership are disengaged themselves. So how they're able to transfer, they have no idea. Keeping in mind, you know, quote unquote, old school sales leaders, if they're not giving anything now, 20, 30 years later, imagine what they would have got at that time. So, you know, I lead with a bit of empathy there, but also shake it up, get people out of their comfort zone and get them back finding the passion that they had. And once you have that, you know, that's where you can really start to embed some, you know, real cultural change because positivity is a leadership strategy and it's infectious. And when you can lead with that, you drive better engagement and productivity. And as long as there's organizational trust and there's tools, you know, you have the foundation for really sustainable high-performance culture in a way that's in no way near icky. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so... Um, the listeners here will be uh, ecstatic to hear your practical strategies that will enable them to to build the buyer engagement, to be more mm. aware of the behaviours that buyer requires and wants. So um, mm. what practical strategy would you offer listeners? Absolutely. I, I would recommend certainly an engagement first approach. A little bit of behavioral science is, is called the IKEA effect. Now, obviously, IKEA furniture we build ourselves. Something happens when we contribute. So I believe that progression is always better than perfection as a salesperson. Be okay with going to market or speaking to your buyers at 70% and build that 30% with them. You know, you touched on a very simple way to do that too um, earlier. You know, ask them, what is your buying process? How can I actually tailor what I'm doing to you? It's a very simple way to play to IKEA effect. What you'll find is if they are building a prop, if it's, you know, an enterprise deal or whatnot, by the time you get to 90%, which is contracts, they're already highly engaged. So really see buyers as not buyers, they're partners of yours. And just because they might not sell, you might not sell on this, always think about cultivating a network. You know, understand human psychological needs, seek to engage with them well after the sale because really that's where trust is built and that's how you maintain and that's how you drive advocacy. And to me, that is the number one sales tool you can have is, is a buyer saying, this person's great to work with because referrals, 80% more likely to convert. At the end of the day, people buy from people. Never forget that. You can have the best company name behind you, but if you're difficult to get hold of or if you're complicated in your responses, people just will not work with you moving forward. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much. There was so much in there, uh, those practical um, strategies to remind people of really what's what's important, what we're here to do. So I want to take it back a little bit, LJ, and talk about, you know, your experience working in sales. As you said, you, you weren't of the age of a typical sales leader. You weren't of the gender of a typical sales leader. So I'm really interested in your experience and, and going forward, what you see and what you know that works in terms of encouraging more diversity into, you know, the sales industry. 
Absolutely. So like I said, I cut my teeth in, in agencies and marketing and I was in agencies, you're surrounded by research and you're surrounded by um, researchers and you're surrounded by people who take a brief and really all band together to produce a really powerful tool. Uh, when I moved to, to sales, I really felt like there was no support. Um, I felt disconnected from the leadership and I certainly felt disconnected from any learning material because it was not the reality of how we sold. Showing me a, a sales funnel wasn't relevant to me at all. I needed to know, you know, I think I was sort of just prior to 30 or whatnot. You know, I wanted to know how to have a conversation. I needed to know how to how to hold myself in a meeting, how to how to have confidence, how to read data. Um, more and more, I think data strategies are coming to the fore, which is great. I think it makes targeting easier, but then what? You know, so I think more and more soft skills are going to come to the fold um, from a leadership capacity, absolutely. But I think it's more and more we're going to see that honed in in really smart organisations because we can nurture better, uh, we can ask better questions, we can demonstrate empathy better. And you really, empathy is really defining the problem. And if you can't understand the problem enough, you can't expect to sell a solution. You know, that's why I, I get so frustrated when people pitch to me on a first LinkedIn, like, you don't know me. You don't know anything about my business. Even there's a lot around, but I know for sure you haven't looked at my profile because that's technology for you. You know, so that's really frustrating that there's still a, a mindset of buy from me. Like, I'm not doing anything for you. You demonstrate that you know me well enough to allow me the vulnerability to open up. And, you know, that's what sales is. You're uncover uncovering business problems. It's a vulnerable space, especially for business owners you know, who aren't necessarily in, in a large organization. And that's really important to understand that you only earn, you have to earn that right. And you earn that right by seeking to understand, not seeking to be understood. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So tell me more about some of the experiences you had um, becoming a, a, a sales leader. Uh, I overcame them by saying enough was enough and starting my own business. <laughs> you know, I, I hit a point where there was just the same roundabout and, you know, you just didn't feel heard and, and that became frustrating. So regardless of my numbers doing well, I still wasn't getting a seat at the table and, and I just, you know, I had a moment of clarity one day and I thought, what are you doing? And, and I decided I woke up the next day and I created a logo and I called it EQ Sales as a very pointed, you know, response to what I felt was completely the opposite um, and I've smashed it ever since. So thank you to that. <laughs> Uh, organization <laughs> worked out for me <laughs> yeah yeah well you know I know that's not for everybody but for me it was <laughs> it's not not for everybody but it, it does show your tenacity um of just you know moving forward in in a way that's powerful um to you um so tell me if you who is your hero or shiro yeah, look, it has to be my mother. Um, I was raised by a single mum and, you know, she she took in me, she fostered kids. You know, I think working in corporate's hard. I have nothing compared to, you know, six or seven children in the house at one time. So she is truly my hero. I decided to start my business. COVID hit. Um, I moved back home with my mum to determine to, to not have to pay my mortgage um, you know, and she did everything from make me coffee to buy me whiteboards to, you know, come to my first Christmas party, which was just me, her and the dog. Um, and, you know, that support while you're 
starting out and while a lot of people are you know there's a lot of what are you doing kind of at the start of anybody anyone who goes and puts themselves out there um, particularly in a public space or in a really bold space and says I I back myself you know you face a lot of flack from that so to have a, a woman you know one of the strongest women I've had in my corner she's always worked for herself you know really hyping me up has has you know meant the world to me so she will always be my shero and, and I think all all people need um, someone like that in in their corner, whether it's a you know mother, father, uh, a, a, a yes. good friend, um, especially when you're going out on your own and and you Absolutely. know then the pandemic the pandemic hit as as well. So yeah. all, and all the economic challenges that we're facing now, it's tough out there. It's tough in the sales industry. It's tough for for buyers. Um, but yeah, so it's it's great to have that. So here's to your mum. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. So LJ, how can listeners get hold of you? Yeah, LinkedIn's where I live and breathe. So you can follow me, LJ EQ Sales or LJ Harries, H-A-R-R-I-E-S, and follow EQ Sales. That's where all the learning is, all the behavioural science, all those real practical sort of tactics you'll get you'll get a lot out of that but please do connect with me I'm always happy to 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 meet people on the other side of the globe and learn learn how how we work differently and and share that learning because that's what ultimately is going to get us all better absolutely absolutely well it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you LJ thank you so much for being a guest on scale yourselves podcast thank you very much Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.